Hello, hello, hello. My name is Ivy. I am your host, and you are listening to the Future is Black podcast. Welcome. Hitting thirty has done something to us because I've been the same. I've been like, yes. uh, peace over everything. Like, peace over I everything. This, I was having this conversation with um, a few of my uni friends, and they were like, "What is this chapter of your life called?" Now I was like, "It's peace over everything." And I'm literally, if if anything is sabotaging my peace, I'm walking away from it. If it makes me weak, I call. If it makes me quit, I call. Do you know what I mean? If it makes me seem lazy, call. If it's not giving me peace, I'm walking away from it. I'm putting it to the side. I'm not addressing it right now. I'm not going to deal with it ever. But it took getting to 30. The Future is Back podcast. I have an amazing special guest here today. She's phenomenal. Her name is Lynette. If you know me, you know her. To know me is to know her. She is my cousin, one of the loves of my life, and my first friend. Ivan's going to be mad that I said that, but it's true. Um, <laughs> Ivan's my twin for all those who didn't listen to the last podcast. And if you didn't listen to that, then what are you doing? You need to go back and, yeah. You need to go back and press replay and listen to it. Do the right thing. Okay? And meet all of my family. But anyways, without further ado, I'll introduce it briefly and then give her the floor. And also tell you a little bit about what this podcast and what this is about and what we're going to talk about in this particular recording. I, Lynette, I never know if I'm supposed to say what this podcast is about or what this episode, innit? Session, episode, episode. Episode, yeah. there we go. So yeah, so Lynette's doing her PhD. That's why I ask her these things. Um, she also runs her own business, Ilimu, which is based on us knowing that race should never be a barrier to opportunity. Provides mentorship, training and short courses absolutely amazing I'm so honored to be a part of the work that Elimu is doing and um, we provide young black achievers with a community of role models who support them to thrive in their future careers um Elimu does amazing work it's just a fantastic organization and I think that everybody should donate all their monies to Elimu <laughs> <laughs> but you know just a little bit of a plug so it's just great. As I said, mentoring, training, short courses and interactive events that really do help people, black people, grassroots things. And I just think it's amazing. So without further ado, I'll let Lynette talk about who she is. The way this is going to go is because we know it's Christmas coming up and we know it's also the end of the year and it's been a it's been a mad one. We're going to go into a little bit of detail around Christmas, pressures, a recap of the year, some highs, some lows. What's everyone buying? Should we all be spending our money? Like, what's going on? And then we're going to wrap it up. And she's my last guest of, my, of the year. She's one of the one of the most important guests, the most special Aww. guests. And yeah, I know. Don't be mad. You know, if I've done, you know, if I've recorded you before, don't be mad. It's just the truth. But yeah, without further ado, <laughs> Lynette, can you please introduce yourself? Yeah, um, so hi to all the listeners and thank you for having me, Ivy. I've been loving this podcast and it's just, it started out so well and you start as you mean to go on. So I'm really excited to see what 2022 brings for you. And myself, I'm Lynette Nabossa. So I do a few things. I am the founder of Elimu, as Ivy said. She explained it really well, so I don't mean to go back into it. I guess the only thing I will say is that the name Elimu is Swahili, so we are Ugandan by origin. So, yes, we are. Um, <laughs> so Swahili is our um, well, one of our most common languages. I think it's English, Luganda, then Swahili, and it means knowledge and education. So interchangeably, you can use it to say the word knowledge or to say the word education, and that's what we're all about. We're all about 
educating one another and imparting knowledge on one another. So whether that's through workshops, through mentoring, through events, through interviewing some of our, um, we have a few young people in our community who interview their role models. We have people who connect with one another because one person might be interested in a field that another person's in. So just mm -hmm. those kinds of more personal conversations is always to impart knowledge through social capital. So I'm really big on social capital, which is something that I'm studying at the moment through my PhD. So young um, black students at the moment are not graduating on par with their white peers. And that's something that I've been studying for a few years as an academic. So I've been a business lecturer for well, I was a business lecturer for three years. I've stepped you lot, away from You lot see her. You lot see her. You see her. You see her. <laughs> and now I'm doing my doctorate in business where I'm evaluating the models that NME uses to create a new framework which provides more access. So access to social capital, access to entrepreneurship education, which is a big thing within academia, and then just access to careers, like more successful careers for black youth black students so whether you go through the academia route mm -hmm. whether you go through apprenticeships and training whether you go through on the job training it's all access and we're trying to see how we can engage more young people with access to those opportunities but also ensure that the institutions and the structures that they're being placed within are contextualizing their programs and contextualizing the way they teach to the circumstances of black youth because often we're expected to assimilate and that means that it's not always going to be as easy as our white peers to kind of participate or engage or learn so we're making sure that curriculums are a lot more diverse and recruitment is a lot more diverse and just the culture of a workplace or the culture of a university is a lot more inclusive for black youth and through my PhD I'm trying to study how we can do that in a single framework. I'm also dabbling in a bit of consulting so um, through the work that I do either through academia or through LME I'm not too sure <laughs> how um, I'm found but I've been quite fortunate to be found um, by charities and by local authorities to help them with racial equity projects so I'm working with one charity to support them in becoming an anti-racist organisation by amplifying the voices of their most marginalised staff but also mm -hmm. their black children and young people and then I'm also doing some work with a local authority who's developing a climate action strategy and ensuring that they embed the voices of their most marginalized residents across the borough within that strategy. Because often when you see climate change, narratives and discourse is very much one type of person that we see representing right. that narrative, although it affects all of us. And though right, people. it's mostly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and although it's mostly affecting um, our people, if you think about um, globally, it's having more of an effect on African countries and our continent through the actions of the Western world and through capitalism. So these are voices that should really be at the forefront of that narrative. So I'm ensuring that that um, local authority will embed those voices in their strategy. Outside of that, I'm a school governor for a secondary school in South London. CV's and, long, um, you lot. The CV's very long. <laughs> very long. <laughs> the achievements and the aggregate <laughs> do not stop. So um, I'm working on the Children, Families and Communities Committee and we um, are responsible for those students who are deemed disruptive. So those who tend to be excluded a lot, 
actors who tend to be kind of in trouble quite often and looking at how we can engage, engage their families, their communities, mm-hmm. but also how we can develop strategies so that the schools and whatever third parties are brought into the schools are better engaging those young people and speaking to their needs as opposed to just palming them off as disruptive students. And then I do some work on the Commission for Diversity in the Public Realm. So earlier this year in February, Sadiq Khan, who's the Mayor of London, launched a commission which ensures that London's public spaces, streets, memorials, buildings will be more representative of the city's diverse population. And through that committee, we're working to ensure that long beyond our lifetime, any kind of strategies or practices or policies that are put into place when developing new statues, memorials, or whatever it is, will ensure that whatever is built is built to represent everybody within London. Because at the moment, it's very much representative of white men and animals. <laughs> there's, e- there's more animals, statues of animals, than there are of women. So before we even think about race, even women are underrepresented within our city. So ensuring that those things will not be the norm for centuries to come. And, and how did you get that opportunity? Because that's mad. Like for the government to be like, yeah, get onto this. Like, how did that come about? And also, just just to touch upon, like, j- just just who you are, just the accolades, the achievements, and everything that you have going on. I think what we're going to be talking about is also like feelings and pressures at this time of the year. You've achieved so much. Um, and how do these things kind of impact who you are to the core? Because something mm-hmm. that you and I always discuss is how we are. We're not what we. We're not just what we do, but also who we are, like yeah. in our hearts and what we identify as. So yeah, I guess that's a two-part question. Firstly, like how how do you believe these opportunities come to you? Because as you said, these opportunities are kind of like gravitating towards you, and sometimes you go for them, but also they come to you. That's number one. And then number two, how do you think all of this is impacting who you are to the core? Yep. So um, I guess I'll start with the far, first part. Um, I just wanted to kind of distinguish that this Commission for Diversity in the Public Realm is um, is a city hall kind of initiative, but not mm-hmm. government. So the mayor's office is separate from the government. The government actually hate us. Oh. And they've been trying to put policies in place to ensure that we'll have no power to make the changes they're trying to make. So I just want well, to- yeah, They're pushing that. back. Yeah, the government's not for us. <laughs> um, but yeah, for that opportunity, um, I've been following Sadiq Khan, um, for a couple of years. So Abby, do you remember a couple of years ago I dragged you to a question time? You know, be dragging me. She'd be dragging me places. She'd be dragging me to Ghana. She'd be, when we were younger, she dragged me to the raves. Now, you know, I mean, we elevating in life. Now she'd be dragging me to actually a very good time. And I, like, we met Sadiq and that. And, you know, she's very, you know what I mean? Like, she puts me in these circles. I'll be networking. So, yeah. I, of course, I remember meeting Sadiq, you know. I was right next to him. Kind of short. You know, he's kind of short, but he is, but very, he's, um, he's very nice. I like he slightly makes up for his height. Yeah, like yeah, height's yeah, yeah. not everything, guys. It's not, <laughs> height. that's not a negative thing. I'm here for the short, talk, the long, you know, it's all good. <laughs> the first thing so, I know, yeah. I think when people have such a, um, a, a presence about them you always assume that they're just tall for whatever reason but yeah. you know, I was kind of shocked I don't know what what that is it's like social conditioning but yeah it's not really <laughs> short and it's a negative it was actually a positive you know yeah so um I was always quite intrigued I'm always intrigued from like four in the first so unfortunately we still have a lot of firsts so he was the first of a lot of things so first ethnic minority mayor first Asian mayor first 
Muslim mayor. So um, I was always quite intrigued by him and kind of what gave him the audacity to always go for that role, mm-hmm. to, to go for that role in the first place. So I used to follow him for quite a while. And because of that, um, I follow him online. So he posted on LinkedIn, like, this is what we're trying to do. And he posted it last year. And I was like, do you know what? When I looked at the job description, very often I feel like I'm winging it, but this job description actually sounded like me in a nutshell. Love so for my, <laughs> for my degree, I did town planning and social policy. And I had always said that oh, I've never had a chance to use my town planning degree. I did a few kind of placements while I was in uni, but after uni, I never um, pursued that side, although the town planning was the side that I really liked. And then now is an opportunity to use that degree. And then also it's trying to make London more diverse. And with all the other work that I've mentioned, I won't go back into it, but you can see the synergies between that. So I kind of just highlighted that stuff. Um, then yeah they called me for an interview and I remember having the interview and you know when there's so many nods so many yeah so many yeah. aha moments so I was like yeah this this is looking good <laughs> and then um yeah so I got that um but yeah it was really just because it was speaking to exactly what my passions are but also what my skill set is yeah like I didn't even have to wing it I didn't have to embellish anything you like knew the information. Was me yeah it was me on paper so that was that was really straightforward. But like you mentioned, other things have gravitated to me. So I in September this year, I kind of stepped away from lecturing just to focus on all the other stuff that I'm, I'm doing. But yeah, I've been lecturing for a few years and that happened because of networking and all these things happened through networking. So with the lecturing, I was doing my master's in Scotland with Ivy and I was doing social business and microfinance. Oh, this year of my life, best year of her life. (laughs) Best year of my life. So, (laughs) we're literally like, I don't make enough use of it. Honestly, like, we're literally like, we're we're the bestest of friends, but we could not be more different in so many ways because she loved, (laughs) loved. I've never seen anybody like, I said, I like to learn. I mean, like, I like, because I like to talk. So when I'm in the when I'm in the lecture room, I'm like, yeah, but this, but that, you know, applying my intelligence. But literally, <laughs> would like get ready midnight. I'm like, okay, we're going out. Can't wait. Do you know what I mean what kind of club have we found in Scotland? Imagine it's cold. She's got her earmuffs on. She's going to give me an apple, and I'm like, where are you going? And she's like, because I li- I would lived on top of her. Oh yeah, I lived on top of her. She was just like the floor me. above. Yeah, so she was above. on the first floor. I was on the ground floor. Yeah. And then she'd come and get drop me an apple at like midnight, or or she'd drop me like some vegan food, or she'd drop me like <laughs> I don't know a, a pastry because she loves bread and all that type of stuff. <laughs> and she'd drop me some always something different, and she would be going to the library, and she would be she, she had the biggest smile on her face. You'd be thinking she's going to link man. You think no, no, she was going to the library. She and I've never seen anyone, even up till now, with such enthusiasm and such like happiness to learn. Like it's so inspiring. And actually, it's carried me a lot through difficult times because I always think about like whenever I'm like, oh, something's difficult at work or just I'm struggling with something academically because I always think and this could be unpopular but I always think there's people who are just naturally smart like born that way like Lynette was just born academic like it just is what it is and it's people like me you know it's an us and you know it's just, <laughs> it, just, it just takes some application you know you, know, just need to, you need to warm me up a little bit and you I know I'm gonna that- 
it's helped me like being with her has helped me so I would say if anyone that's listening if you're a bit like me and you know these things can be a bit long um <laughs> you should get someone on your team who really loves it because it will inspire you and that kind of motivation will rub off on you I was gonna say you know I'm gonna push back on the smart thing because I really feel like we were socialized to think that that exists when it really doesn't because one thing that my mum always says to me and my siblings is that we are all academically smart but we have no common sense <laughs> so <laughs> so smart really just depends on the context like yeah. it really can be oh can you memorize these questions to pass them in an exam is that really smart like do you actually understand it yeah and that like, I remember um having that kind of circumstance me and my sister both had that kind of circumstance when we went from schools where we were taught to revise to schools where we were taught to understand or university for me it's university where I was taught to understand and for my sister it was sixth form at university where she was taught to understand and it was like we were starting all over again because in our formative years all that time we spent in um secondary school they hadn't actually taught us to understand and break it down and really kind of understand why one plus one equals two do you know what yeah. I mean so um so can we really say that we were smart or that we were just kind of well prepared to pass these exams so yeah when it comes to words like smart and clever I I, I don't like them because well, like you yourself you're so intelligent like when I hear you kind of we again we work together with enemies so when it's kind of business stuff and like trying to make sure that we're holding businesses accountable or making sure that they kind of pay us for our worth and all these sorts of things like Ivy's like I'm learning from Ivy do you know what I mean and that's smart. That's clever. Do you know what I mean? So I think those words are very context specific. And I don't like that schools have socialized to think that there's such thing as being dumb or not smart. And this is why you So I just thought I'd throw that in there. I'm going to adopt that. I'm going to adopt that way of thinking, you know, because it's even true. Like, I'm just like, where's yeah. the money? And <laughs> very direct in how I go about things. And I think that's mm-hmm. why we work so well with each other. Mm-hmm. And I'm so happy that now everybody's got like an overview of who you are, what you do. But if I can just ask you in like, three words to kind of describe like who are you to the core of you like this is all the things that you do and I think for you it's really like it is for me our passions are very reflective of who we are as people if you Mm -hmm. had to define yourself to the core take away all the accolades take away all the achievements who is Lynette um I don't know about three words but like the one that that automatically comes to mind is big sister okay because that's the thing that is most important to me like if I had to choose between kind of just having like my big sister duties or all these all this other stuff like it would always be being a big sister like I don't know I don't know yeah I, you probably haven't seen me but like there's times when I've been to like my, my sister and brother are both really creative so I have a younger brother and a younger sister they're both really creative so times when I've been to their performances my brother's a musician my sister's a dancer that's when I'm happiest like yeah. that's when I can be crying of joy like <laughs> like a mother and that to the point that my sister's friend will be like here we go again in it <laughs> like that's when my pride and joy comes and like all the stuff that I do now is trying to make things better for the next generation whether it's the stuff that I do with the mayor trying to make sure that London's more representative whether it's stuff that I'm doing through my PhD trying to make sure that university is more inclusive and um corporate environments are more inclusive yeah whether it's stuff that I do through Elimu that's always been about the next generation empowering them and providing them with social capital and role models like that's all because of my siblings that's all because of the stuff that I want them 
to have had access to like I don't like that I'm four years older than my brother and eight years younger than my um eight years older than my sister so there's four years between all of us and I don't like the fact that we've all had the same experiences I feel like things should always change and improve yeah. and get better so Especially all of these things our communities, like, right? yeah so I do these things because of the disappointment that things didn't get better for them so ensuring yeah. that the people that come after them will always see improvement from the experiences that I had so being a big sister it drives me it's it's, it's what gives me the most pride and the most joy so I think that's who I am to my core for the better and the worse <laughs> I think that's amazing and actually yeah. it, it, I've been like kind of like my brain has been on overload thinking about purpose and thinking about motivation it's just as a, a concept right like purpose motivation who we are as people and I do think that a lot of what makes us us is obviously formed through our experiences growing up and mm-hmm. our childhood but also your identity right so for you mm-hmm. being a big sister has kind of formed the way that you look at things and mm-hmm. your advocacy and how things should continue and be and mm-hmm. also I'm sure that it's created some pressures as well throughout mm-hmm. your life and and different feelings right so mm-hmm. looking at this year because this year has been very different <laughs> and last mm-hmm. year as well has been very different to the rest of your how many 28 years of life because obviously you're 30 now so the last two years have been just for everyone just on its head mm-hmm. right just turned everything around how was your year um I would say externally it's been good so Amy's been thriving it's been growing we've been getting a lot of attention we've been getting a lot of support in kind and financially um with my PhD it's like I have a great supervisor and she's really helped me to kind of hone in what I'm studying and then getting the kind of consulting work that I'm doing that all happened this year the school governor role the commissioner role that all happened this year so externally it's been fantastic career-wise it's been like the best year I've ever had internally it's been a shit show so all of these things a shit show because naturally doing all these things it's like it spreads you so thin yeah and like in doing all these things I haven't mentioned like family like people in my personal life like having to kind of balance those relationships not even having to like wanting to balance those relationships and just knowing that I'm not balancing them well do you know what I mean I'm feeling like all the things that I'm doing I'm not doing my best in any of them because there's so many of them so they all get a piece of me as opposed to all of me right and then just the kind of intensity of everything so like to-do lists for me are typically like 20 to 27 items per day like and that's every day it's not Monday to Friday it's Monday to Sunday like I'm always on the go and the times when I kind of give myself a break it's because of burnout it's because my body has said I can't do anymore do you know right. what I mean like it's never kind of proactive it's more so like my body's forcing me into rest so I've had that quite a few times I know um Ivy was kind of my my go-to um a few times actually I feel like it's been consecutive September October and November where I've had breakdowns where I've just been like I can't do all of this anymore yeah. sort of thing so emotionally the, the emotional and the mental toll of doing all of that I think people always see the outside they see all the external things that I saw and that like, you would think like wow that's amazing but it's like I can't even take a moment and enjoy those things because first of all thinking about how am I going to sustain these things I have to keep working to <laughs> sustain yeah. these things yeah and then also 
knowing that in order for me to have achieved all these things, it's taken so much out of me personally and it's taken so much out of my relationships that I can't even see the joy in it. And just the sacrifice, right? Like the sacrifice. So much sacrifice. To get to, to, especially when you're an ambitious person, an ambitious woman, there's so much sacrifice that's required Mm -hmm. to get you to where you want to be. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think that's such, that's a difficult thing. More so as a black woman, because there's little to no research that's done in regards to mental health. Um, Mm -hmm. When we look at mental health, I actually saw a statistic and it said little is known about black women and mental health as these individuals have been largely absent from research. And that was like a research manager at the Mental Health Foundation. And the majority of the research has looked at ethnic minorities as a whole. So, you know, the word that we can't name, rather Mm -hmm. than providing a focus on the challenges faced specifically by black women. Do you think that being a black woman has impacted you in any way in terms of how you go about dealing with your mental health when it comes to everything you have on your plate? Yeah, I think um, it's an internal external thing again. So internally, I feel like I, but not just me, I think culturally as black women, we put everyone before us and everything before us. So we put our loved ones before us, we put work before us, we put everything that we're aspiring to before us and then our own well-being is an afterthought. And then the other thing, externally is that society does the same thing society is like oh strong black woman first black woman to this and oh this feisty black woman and this like I don't know this high achiever this like all these kind of things that we're associated with are not allowing us to just be vulnerable or rest or seek help or not overachieve or not look after everyone like all these terms that are associated with us are all about being the superhero and it's being the best I saw something recently um uh, I wish I remember where I got it from so I could give appropriate credit but it was it was the guy saying that we're always expected to be superhuman or subhuman like we can never just be and I felt like that really spoke to being a black person in general but being a black woman specifically it's like you're either superwoman or like you're less than you're like oh that ratchet girl or these girls like I'll, yeah. I'll talk to my friends and like the way that they'll talk about girls who aren't overachieving or who haven't necessarily kind of um reached a certain level in their career and it's like why can't we just be why can't we just be yeah. we're not given the same um I just think patience and grace yeah grace it's definitely women grace. sometimes and I think yeah. it's really difficult for me um being a black woman in in a particular position and stuff I think it's been difficult for me because of how I present externally so Mm -hmm. you know you go sexy and Mm. I'm (laughs) and I'm not very I'm not the most modest in the way that I dress I'm loud I'm opinionated I'm very loving very kind very nurturing but I'm also very determined very ambitious and very direct um, and I take up space, right? And, and I, I've always felt, and I think I'm dealing with it better now as I get older. That's a beautiful thing about when you get older, you just care so much less. But mm-hmm. I, had, I, I, I suffered with it in my 20s, just feeling like, why, why, is, why does everybody want to make me feel less than what I am? Like why, mm-hmm. does, and it's, it was never me. I always thought that people would project, like if I was speaking too loud, it's like, 
you're so loud or and that's why that's a trigger for me when people say that I'm speaking too loud because I have a twin brother who is just as loud if not louder than me mm-hmm. and no one ever said that to him nobody ever that's said I've loud. Yeah. and I, it was always me it was always me yeah. that was like too opinionated too loud and it was always adjust this and change this until I realized that that was more about them than it was about me mm-hmm. and I'm okay with me like mm-hmm. being loud didn't hurt no one and I'm not inappropriate. Mm-hmm. I'm just I just have a loud voice and I command attention. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think mm-hmm. the society needs to make more space for black women who are like that. And also make more space for black women who are not like that. I think that's the, what I was gonna say. Because we're not um, all the same. Exactly. I think I think we're always treated as a monolith, yes. which again goes back to the strong black woman thing. It's like this is the one label we've applied to all of you. So you must all be a strong black woman. Like yeah. there's no variation in the loud woman, the quiet woman, the weak woman, the strong woman, the woman who might be going through something at the moment and the woman who's thriving at the moment. It's like, it, we're not allowed to go through those stages. We're not given the grace. And then naturally I feel like because of that, we, we've been socialized to not give that grace to ourselves. Like 100%. you're at a really good point where you've kind of um, found the power in who you are. And I feel like hitting 30 has done something to us because I've been the same. I've been like, yes. nah, peace over everything. Like, peace over I having, everything. I was having this conversation with um, a few of my uni friends and they were like, what is this chapter of your life called? And I was like, it's peace over everything. And I'm literally, if, if anything is sabotaging my peace, I'm walking away from it. If it makes me weak, I'll call. If it makes me a quit, I'll call. Do you know what I mean? If it makes me seem lazy, call. If it's not giving me peace, I'm walking away from it. I'm putting it to the side. I'm not addressing it right now. I'm not going to deal with it ever. But it took getting to 30, 30 years of life, 30 years of struggle, 30 years of guilt, 30 years of shame, 30 years of hiding my vulnerabilities to get to that point. So it's like, how does that narrative kind of become more common so that it doesn't take getting to this point for us to realise that we can just be? And I think that's the work that we're doing, right? Yeah. And I completely agree with you. It's definitely is peace over everything. For, for me, this year has been the same. I think in so many ways, externally, really, really good. Internally, it, I, I, for me, it wasn't necessarily a shit show, Lynette. That really hurts me, those words, you know, but, you know, you can allow to feel. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but it has been, um, it's been, I would say it's been constant change and adapting. Like it has been very roller coastery if I had to put Mm -hmm. a word on it right but one Mm -hmm. of the things that I've loved most about myself this year is that I don't care anymore I used Mm -hmm. to care so much about Mm -hmm. you know I care about my friends still I love everybody and I love my family and stuff but I'm living for me so Mm -hmm. I feel like I've always lived to ensure that although I'm a good person everybody needs to know that so how can I prove yes. to everyone? Like, yeah. how can I prove that I'm the best friend that you could ever have? How can I prove that I'm the best daughter? How can I prove yeah. that I'm the best girlfriend? The, the, yeah. All of the labels, I wanted to like earn that title to be the best yeah. because I have a people, it's a people pleaser in me, but also like how I was raised. So yeah. just to always overcompensate and to people please, it can become tiresome. And I think mm-hmm. this year I've let it go. Like you ha- look at the relationships in your life. Are they reciprocal, reciprocal reciprocated? And do you feel peace in there? Look at you in the big words. Listen, I told you you don't know that. And if they're not, let it go. Family, friend, relationship, Mm -hmm. boyfriend, it don't matter what it is. Like, if you, it's so freeing. And I know that's a journey, right, for everybody. So I'm not going to say, like, wake up and just call people and just cut them off. No, but Mm -hmm. I think for me, I really had to start learning how to choose myself. 
And mm-hmm. if I'm in environments or I'm with people or I'm anything it is that I don't feel like I can be me or I don't feel like I can be a hundred percent myself and I don't feel peace, then mm-hmm. it's got to get to step in. Especially now that we are coming towards the end of the year, we're big people. Well, we're supposed to be big people. I mean, that's the <laughs> people, there's that. And Christmas <laughs> is coming. So, you know, Christmas is coming in there. Externally, this year has been amazing for you externally. Bit of a shit show internally. Do you feel different that Christmas is coming? I know that Christmas is supposed to be like the best time of the year. It's the most wonderful time (laughs) of the year, apparently. And we're obviously both Christians. So like Christ and Jesus and them, man, I'm not supposed to... Um, and then I was gonna say the man there like Jesus is my homeboy but let me be serious like obviously Jesus is the reason for the season for those who believe and for th- those who don't believe and still celebrate Christmas still eat your food and have the best time of your life I mean it's for everyone right so how are you feeling now internally that Christmas is coming are you feeling any pressures around Christmas Christmas can be um, a reflective time so how are you feeling yeah so for me I didn't actually um with just this with how life is, how busy life is, I didn't even gather that it was Saturday coming. Like it, was yeah, it come out so quickly. <laughs> literally, I was having a meeting on Friday and the lady was like, Oh yeah, I'm going on annual leave from this afternoon, Christmas next week. And I was like, Next week? It came so quickly. So, um, I haven't been able to take it in. Um, I think it's partially because of how busy things are, but I think with the pandemic, I think time is you I've just time what is time (laughs) like um whatever the kind of occasion season is like I've always had like a lot of build up to things but now it's just like take every day as it comes so the fact that we're even approaching the end of December is wild to me so in that sense um I haven't even um realized or acknowledged that that Christmas coming for the pressures to be there but then that being said, so I put up the Christmas tree, I decorated it, I kind of um, got my gifts, like they're all out of the way, they're already wrapped up and under the tree. And that was more so because of my mother. So I spoke about being an older sibling and um, <laughs> sometimes it's it's being an older sibling to my mother. She's very, um, our relationship can be, um, who, who's the mother and the daughter depends on the day sort of thing so she was she was really kind of looking forward to it um this year she was kind of trying to have conversations about the color scheme what color scheme should we go for and like what should we do on the day so I think it's that that made me think I want to make sure that she has a good Christmas I want to make sure that like my siblings have a good Christmas so I think it goes back to being a big sister and you know what I'm saying for the good or for the bad yes um, for me, I think this year probably just would have been anyhow for me because I wanted to be away anyways and Amari and happened. So for <laughs> me, it's more so it's more so wanting to ensure that they have a good Christmas and that we make the most of the day. That's what's motivating me to kind of do all these things. So I guess pressure in that sense, if that answers um, the question. But otherwise, yeah, I just wouldn't have been on it at all. Um, in terms of prepared I just want to be prepared it's more about your duty for you Christmas duty right and how does that make you feel like knowing that you have to take on all this responsibility around the time that you're already having a difficult time internally and I'm sure that so many people can relate to this because Mm. although Christmas is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the (laughs) year it's not for everyone so I'm happy that you're being so transparent about that like how are you dealing with the fact that or how have you dealt with the fact that 
you know, you play the mum or the sister role, but who's doing that for you? Like, how how is that making you feel? Oh, especially around this time. Yeah. Um, I think the kind of approach I've taken is that considering my age and considering the plans that both me and my mum have, um, like she's spoken about, like, in a few months, just wanting to kind of permanently relocate to Uganda, which is where we're originally from. And then, like, I myself, <laughs> I'm not sure that, like... <laughs> I myself I'm not sure that like um that my whole future is in the UK so just knowing that it's one of potentially one of the last Christmases altogether in the same household if not the last um is what I've kind of put it down to like okay okay, let's just make the most of it and also just like with everything that's happened this year just being like okay just make the most of it because it could be like the last one or the last one for a long time sort of thing so I've kind of used that for reasoning if that makes sense because otherwise I think I would have been a bit more negative like oh now I've got to spend this money and oh now I've got to take time kind of preparing all this kind of I don't know the decorations that we've got like buying all the stuff like I bought some new decorations for it and kind of the time that it takes to do this and yeah just not really being on it and knowing that I'm not really doing it for me like I think I would have had a more negative stance but just knowing that like these things are um not guaranteed do you know what yeah, I mean so, that's that's exactly so that's, how I'm taking it too yeah because um when we talk about the feelings and pressures around Christmas um well it does say that like around one out of five people experience some form of depression in early 2021 and mm-hmm. around one in three adults who reported being reported being unable to afford an unexpected expense of 850 pounds experience mm-hmm. depressive symptoms in early 2021 the reason why I say this is because depression is obviously going on the rise because of the pandemic and the situation yeah. that we are in and also that has impacted the ability to spend money however the percentage of people buying gifts is set to drop to 89 percent, which is still very high yeah. um, but it's a decrease from last year's 97 percent um, according yeah. to the research by finder the average British adult will also fork out 548 pounds on Christmas gifts in 2021 and that's an increase from 2020's budget of 476 pounds. And that also reflects the economy, right? And how everything is just rising and going up. So when we even yeah. talk about the pressures of one person kind of having to buy all of these gifts, and yeah. l- let's talk about women, 91% of women are planning to spend on Christmas gifts in 2021. And in contrast, only 87% of men will spend on Christmas gifts. However, yeah. men will spend more money than women because of, you know, patriarchy and their man. So <laughs> in all of that being said, and all those stats and statistics, when we talk about the pressures around Christmas, how do you feel about the money side of things, like the financial side of things? And you're very, fun- Lynette used to be like my financial advisor. She still kind of is right now. I mean, I would love to show her things that I'm going to purchase but she's <laughs> yeah. buy them. So I don't do that anymore. Um, <laughs> She'll either diss it or say no. So, you know, there's that. But she's very good with money. She's always been very sensible. I always saw the story about how she bought a car when we were all in Primark buying little T-shirts. She bought like a runaround <laughs> when she was like 15. So she's always had a really sensible head on, especially when it comes to money. She she did an investment group for me and her mum and her to put 50 pounds a pot. And I think I just fell off because Primark, obviously T-shirts. <laughs> that was more important at the time for me. And, you know, this was years ago. Um, so she's always been ahead of the curve when it comes to investing and being wise with money. How do you think that, you know, the pressure of spending money financially around this time impacts women and black women? Because we talk Mm -hmm. about how much we lead these households in terms of 
a duty, especially duty around this time during Christmas? So I want to take like an internal external approach again. So internally, um, well, not internal external, well, personal, and then what I've seen societally. So personally, I myself, again, like I didn't, I wasn't really kind of thinking about Christmas, so I didn't budget for it. So when I was getting all these decorations, when I was getting everyone's presents, like it did kind of, it was a hit because I didn't budget for it. So I was just like, let me just not look. Yeah, let me just <laughs> still not look. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And then I was like, um, let me just be very functional okay. as well. Like a lot of the times when I kind of get gifts, I want gifts to be, um, I want it to be more, I can't think of the word, but when it's something that you love as opposed to something that is definitely, is necessarily functional. Yeah. Whereas this year I was just like, nah, it's got to be affordable and functional. So even having to have that mindset, because I knew that like I hadn't budgeted for this and it's just last minute, well, not last minute, but like a couple of weeks ago that I decided that, okay, I'm actually going to have to get them. And then like, even with that, I was like looking at the same products and looking at, okay, who's got them for what price? So that's because I didn't anticipate that I was going to spend on it because I wasn't sure if I was even going to be here, like in the country, um, during this Christmas. And again, I hadn't thought about it. So just having to, ha- like feeling the onus of, I can't do Christmas with my family without getting gifts for my family yeah but then knowing that that comes at an expense which I hadn't budgeted for which is okay for me but like if you've got mouths to feed and like a mortgage to pay and all these things it comes so much more sinister which comes on to my second point which is what I've seen societally when I was out buying these decorations the shops that I was buying them from it wasn't like John Lewis or Selfridges it was like affordable shops yet there were so many instances of people stealing, like people were stealing baubles, people were stealing tinsel, like things that you could steal out of packages. Wow. And you're not going to steal those things because you're irresponsible. You're going to steal them because you want to give your family the best Christmas possible. You want to give your children the best Christmas possible and you can't afford to. And seeing that and then thinking about the desperation that must have led to that point and just overhearing a customer services isn't talking about it. The way the customer services system was talking about it was like, do you know what's happened so much that it's actually out of our control now? Yeah. So it's like how many families have been impacted in this way where it's just become expected that this year so many shots will be robbed for baubles. Do you know what I mean? And like, how does that make you feel as a parent? I'm assuming because I haven't seen the person actually stealing. And so I'm just assuming it could, it might not be a parent, but just somebody who wants to decorate a tree and can't, can't afford to, I assume that they can't afford to do so. That was heartbreaking to me. And then just thinking about theft overall, like somebody up my road was going into um, my local Thai place to, um, to he was he was a delivery guy. And then like he, I think they saw something out of his, like a helmet or something out of his, um, out of his bike. And it's, I'm just seeing so many instances during this period of people stealing. And it reminds me of when I was in uni, like my car used to get rubbed every Christmas time, like whether it was my windshields or um, my wing mirrors, because it's like, these are things that people can sell on so they can afford whatever they're going to buy, whether it's the tree, whether it's the decorations, whether yeah. it's the Christmas meal. And as wrong as it is to still, it makes me think, how much support do they have like state-wise and the support system-wise 
for them to kind of be in this position where they know Christmas is going to come every year, but they can't even budget enough to prepare for it to say that, okay, this year I'm not going to have to steal. I'm going to be able to kind of buy these things to decorate what I'm decorating or to buy whatever I'm buying. So stealing is wrong and I don't condone it at all. And it doesn't feel good to be robbed, like it's happened to me, but it just look, it just makes me think about the state of society and the pressures, like you said, the pressures of Christmas, because it, it, it isn't about the birth of Christ or whatever. It, it's not been about that for a long time. It's very much become commodified. Yeah. And then like the commodification, having to keep up with that, you're seeing these things on like the TV, you're seeing these things like on my road, I live on a very long road. Like all of us have like lights and we have like our windows all done up with like Christmas decorations. So it's like being the one household that doesn't have it. Do you know what I mean? All these kind of pressures. How does that I make think you about. feel? Do you know what I mean? Young kids so, as well. Yeah. So I've definitely been noticing these things and it's been heartbreaking to be honest. And I think that's, it, it speaks to where we are in society, right? I think there's a lot of pressures on, on these holidays and you're right yeah. like it's supposed to be you know for those who are religious and even for those who aren't right a, a time for family and to get together just food and family and food and family. it was just Wait, food and family exactly and, and gifts was never a massive thing within our family yeah. like, it was never like you'd get like the best gift in the world but you'd get something maybe um on mm-hmm. some of the Christmases maybe you wouldn't get something for another Christmas but it would never be a huge issue and I think we do as we are as a society losing sight of the things that actually really do matter mm-hmm. which is time and love and food I mm-hmm. love Christmas I love presents um I love giving presents I love love I, you know me I'm I am it is the most wonderful time of the year don't know why I didn't sing it that time <laughs> um, but I can also empathize and completely understand with the pressures that people must face because even for me I'm like it is expensive Honestly. It is so expensive, and I think the pressure. When I saw the price of trees, now it's like the price wow. of trees, the price of all. I should be stocking up on something to sell. The, the price, price of, of food, food honestly. Like, and honestly, I'm, I'm Aldi, Aldi all day, Aldi, mm-hmm. Aldi, Aldi, and even Aldi is. Let me not even say that about Aldi, you know, because <laughs> I love Aldi, so I won't even cuss them too tough. But Sainsbury's and Tesco's and Waitrose, you know, I'm even crazy. You know, if anyone is listening from the head office, you know, I'm moving crazy. It's not even there. We know it's not down to them, but the prices are just ridiculous. Just to buy Christmas dinner, it's reported that it's going to take a household of 200, a household of more than four people, 261 pounds to buy Christmas dinner. Mm. And I just mm. think that how many people are living under the poverty line? Me and Lynette are girls from Lucian. We, we grew up on the blocks and that would just not have been affordable point back yeah. period um even now like we're contributing towards Christmas and food and stuff and like Mm. it's just the it's not even oh I'm gonna help it's not even help it's what you have to do so it is hard Mm. and it is hard and also back to the food and family point it's like what happens when you don't have that I think you end up overcompensating yes with the the gifts gifts. and with the decorations because that's what kind of happened to us like you said when we were growing up it was literally three households so our mums are sisters and then they have a third sister and all households used to come together and we would just eat from Christmas Eve to Boxing Day. Like we would all be in the same house for three days straight. And that's all, all it was about. That's all it was matters. about. And then when it you get older, you realise... But then when you don't have that anymore, where yes. we're all kind of, that different households are kind of celebrating it differently. It's like, I find that I personally have been overcompensating with, again, the gifts and the more extravagant And also having to show up. And not yeah. being guilty for showing up. Because I'm 30, so really and truly... It, uh, and I'm, my mum will listen so I'm not saying too much but what I will say <laughs> is like you know 
they, this is another subject altogether, but generate the generation above us, especially black people just don't in their families, don't know how to talk to each other. They don't talk about issues, for example. And I think it affects the kids and it affects the children because this is when you see fractures. I think for a lot of black people and black young people that I've met and just my friends even, everyone has the same story around doing things together and then something happens and then yeah. everything changes and it affects people in the in the family and although I'm no, I'm no longer the younger one but we have younger cousins and we have young people in our family we don't see them because of mm-hmm. the issues that happen within black families and I'm sure all families but I can only speak from my experience hun so <laughs> it is hard it really is hard and I think you you're 100% correct like you do overcompensate because it is you everybody's aware on that day you're trying oh, to fill that void you can fill a hundred percent but then again it goes back to the expense a hundred percent because the especially when over, now, overcompensating and now we're old enough to be able to overcompensate yeah. and now our parents work so hard that we're in certain positions now that mm-hmm. being able to afford to overcompensate is kind of an expectation almost mm. I wouldn't say a, a direct expectation, but I, th- I think maybe we have the expectation in it within ourselves because our parents would put it on us, but we yeah. know, okay, we're making this amount of money. Our parents would make this amount of money. So why don't we just get more so we can mm-hmm. make the day better? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it is a time to be jolly. It is a time to put Christ first. It is a time to celebrate. It is a time to eat, but it's also a time that will be difficult on some people and mm-hmm. hard for families. So I think that, for anyone that's listening in that might be struggling during Christmas, we are here for you and try to make the best out of a difficult situation. Um, and if you have someone that you love and that people that you care about, then just give them a call. Yeah. And if you don't, um, again, like being from like a church background, there are kind of communities who aren't, yes. you don't necessarily have to be of the faith, but there are communities that like kind of come together and have a meal um, on that day. So I guess with this description, I could send you links, right, Ivy? Yeah, you can, definitely. Please. Yeah, because there's, like, there's church communities I know of, but then there's, like, non-church communities that I know of, especially if you're a care leaver, um, and they're, they're just there. They open their doors specifically for that day to make sure that people aren't alone on Christmas. So I'll share those. Brilliant. And we could put that in the link. And I think, lastly, because we've wrapped up now, we've covered so many things. We've covered you and what you do and the fantastic work that you've done. Um, we've talked about mental health. We've spoken about pressures we're talking about this year we're talking about christmas which is still the most wonderful time <laughs> of the year even though it comes with its difficulties and family is always complex um it is very exciting to be able to be blessed enough to see another year and to actually be alive mm-hmm. to celebrate christmas is a blessing mm-hmm. within itself so good thanks but finally i wanted to ask you the last question what would you take what are your takeaways from this year and what would you, I think you've kind of asked this question already in terms of what your takeaway is of this year and how do you hope to start 2022? Um, I think for me, 2022 is all about health, like all aspects of health, like my mental health, my physical health. Yeah. Like it's like my takeaway, although it's been peace, it's been peace because I've realized how stress affects your health again physically and mentally and emotionally like stress is so underrated I feel like the word needs to be broken down into factors so that we understand how this type of stress affects your emotional health and this type of stress affects your 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 physical health because it's the impact is so 
large and we really don't understand how much we're carrying with us every day and that's why we end up imploding so I think now that I've been able to learn that I've been able to kind of start therapy I told you about that I've yes like, you did therapy, therapy guys <laughs> therapy therapy. that's amazing um, and then just stuff like getting back in the gym I've been kind of being more mindful about how I eat but then I definitely need to do better with that but I think for me, health above everything, because I've told you, I've, I touched on the kind of burnouts and the breakdowns that I had this right. year. That's not going to be avoided if I don't address my health before everything. So I'm going into the next year, putting in all the measures in place that I need. So whether it's the therapy, the journaling, the eating, like, the going for walks, the going to the gym, all these things to ensure that that comes first and also being around my support system and communicating more with my support system all of that has to come first if I'm going to do if I'm going to be productive if I'm going to perform my best in all these other areas I've got to be I've got to have my oxygen mask on I can't give oxygen to others without my oxygen mask on I can't pour out if my cup is either empty or half full so it's about preserving my health but also optimizing my health and ensuring that once that's done I'm giving opportunities for others to do the same and that's something that I really try to do with my team at Alimu it's like if somebody can't make a meeting or if somebody's late to something or if somebody hasn't been able to show up in the ways that they wish they would it's always about okay but are you good though do you know what I mean as long as you're good as long as your well-being is good that comes first like don't stress about these things these opportunities are always here like the work is always there so don't put too much stress on yourself don't be don't feel too guilty don't kind of do too much work because I'm doing too much work and I don't want anyone in the team to be doing all of that so the same way that I've been kind of sorry why would the sound be going at the time honestly living in South London living in um, South London (laughs) honestly but um yeah so it's about optimizing that for myself so I can optimize it for my team but then for my wider community that's amazing. I think health is wealth, you know? Honestly, I mean, health you, is. you didn't understand it when you were younger, but 100%. I feel like I, it, being 30, your whole body changes. It's so weird. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> 25, I could just go, I could just work out to, for two weeks. I'd be skinny mini. Well, I was never skinny. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, your girl was, mm-hmm. you know, trim. And now it takes so much. And I feel different it's parts so, of my so body. so much more work. That I've never felt before. And we know how black women, this is, this is probably going to be the next episode, but we know how black women are treated when it comes to the medical profession and NHS. So it really is about and us taking care of ourselves, right? And I think that around this age, a lot, well, we're not all, not all listeners will be the same age, but Ivy and I are both 30. So at this age, we've got to really think about our reproductive health and how to 100%. kind of optimize that. So again, what are we eating? What are we consuming? What, how much stress are we carrying? Like, it's really about making sure that we're clean from the inside out and clean means not having stress, but then also not having that toxicity within us. Do you know what I mean? Because these will, God willing, be incubators soon. Not soon, but you know what I mean? Like within the decade, like these will be yes. like housing, housing babies that will be growing. So it's like these things we've got to think about. And again, like Ivy said, the way that we see black women being treated disproportionately being affected by things like poor maternal health and stillbirths and covid related deaths like all these sorts of things it's like we can't rely solely on the health system we've got to make sure that we're doing our part so that when we are going through these journeys that we're as safe as possible 
100% and like fit to to carry them babies mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. for those who even those who also for those who don't want babies just being important just for it to be important to prioritize your health within do you know what being able to control the things that you can actually control um, yeah like the things that we eat the things that we consume and con- consumption isn't just about you know the things that you put in your mouth it's also about what you watch who your yeah. friends are the people that yeah. you, try, you keep you around you every your support system your tribe all of those things so Lynette yeah. thank you so much this has thank been so informative empowering inspiring honest transparent please all the adjectives all of them and I honestly feel like <laughs> it also shows that things can always appear perfect from the external because I always get that assumption because my life looks so mm-hmm. great like mm-hmm. outside but we all deal with things internally and I think it's so important to just be kind to one another extend grace to one another and yeah. just reject anything that ain't about that. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. just out the door. So mm-hmm. finally, because you are the first woman guest on the future is oh, black woman guest oh, on the future is black podcast. I'll leave you with one question. What do you feel? The last question. What do you feel when I say the future is black? Do I say, sorry, you know I'm slow. Do I say, do I say what I feel in one word or just like a sentence? Can I kind of describe it in a sentence? You can give me a sentence. <laughs> okay. I feel affirmative. So when you're saying it, I know it. I believe it wholeheartedly and I'm seeing it already. Woo! So I'd say aff- affirmed. Tingles, tingles, because it is the most <laughs> wonderful time of the oh, year. Thank you, Lynette, so much. Thank you. Merry Christmas to all of our listeners. Happy Kwanzaa. And, you all know, that good stuff. All that good happy stuff. Holidays. Happy, happy holidays. Happy holidays. I mean, they've got to celebrate Christmas. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Christmas. Happy time of rest. Happy time of eating. Have happy a happy time, time of, of recharge. Love and recharge. Jews, all my Muslims, my mm-hmm. Buddhists. But, Lynette, please help me. Yeah, you said it right. right <laughs> I don't want to. Sikhs. I don't want no, I don't want atheists. Atheists, I would I want to include everybody. Exactly. Have a happy holiday and a Merry Christmas. Okay. And rest. And rest and recharge. So thank you so much, Lynette. I love you so much. I love you too, girl. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs>